This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at reyrey.com slash used cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y.com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, December 8th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Stellantis cuts jobs at two Jeep assembly plants. Dealers are increasingly pessimistic heading into 2024. And the U.S. self-driving industry seeks federal support, citing risk from China. Plus, Volvo Cars Marin Parts and Service Director Chris Van joins the show to talk about his success in building trust and collaboration in his service department. We build a high-trust environment where, where things get done better, get done more cheaply, and you don't have as many mistakes, errors. The response, the natural response is then to care about where you work. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Stellantis says it plans to eliminate production shifts at two assembly plants because it needs to build fewer SUVs to meet stricter emission standards. The cuts could affect thousands of workers. The company's plant in Toledo, Ohio, which builds the Jeep Wrangler and Gladiator, and one of two Jeep Grand Cherokee plants in Detroit, will move from three shifts to two. The automaker said in an emailed statement that changes will be effective as soon as February 5th. It did not provide specific numbers. Together, the plants employ more than 10,000 workers. Media reports in Toledo said up to 1,200 people could be laid off at that plant. The return to more normal market conditions has soured auto dealers' moods heading into the new year. That's according to Cox Automotive's latest dealer sentiment index survey. Retailers are increasingly pessimistic, even as they continue to see strong profits. Franchise dealers panned their fourth quarter market. For the first time in the history of the survey, the typically optimistic industry had an even worse outlook for the quarter ahead. Index results greater than 50 indicate that dealers view conditions as positive or improving. A score of 50 is neutral. Franchised auto dealers rated their current market a 49, down from 57 in the third quarter and 52 a year ago. It's the worst sentiment since the second quarter of 2020, the first full quarter of the COVID-19 pandemic in the U.S., before profits soared as new vehicles became scarce. A coalition of groups representing the self-driving industry say the U.S. Transportation Department needs to support the development of autonomous vehicles. It says the nation industry risks losing out to competitors from China. The coalition includes the Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Alliance for Automotive Innovation, and others. In a letter to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, the coalition says, quote, the AV industry is at a critical juncture and in need of strong leadership from USDOT. The industry faces new headwinds after California in October suspended the permit of General Motors Cruise robo-taxis to test on public roads, saying they were a risk to the public following a series of accidents. 
Legislation to speed robo-taxi deployment has stalled in Congress for more than five years. A spokesperson for Buttigieg did not immediately comment. And General Motors has signed a joint agreement with truck manufacturer Autocar Industries to develop a range of vehicles powered by hydrogen fuel cells. The first truck is slated to begin production in 2026. The initial suite of vehicles will include cement mixers, roll-off trucks, and dump trucks. Those vehicles share a common architecture. Later, the joint venture will produce garbage trucks and terminal tractors. The venture will leverage GM's Hydrogen Fuel Cell Research and Development Unit, Hydrotech. Vehicles will be built at Autocars Plant in Birmingham, Alabama. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Stellantis is eliminating shifts at two assembly plants, and earlier this week, CEO Carlos Tavares touted that Stellantis, and he said this quote, how to get a profitable pricing at the core of the market is an equation that you can only solve if you reduce costs. And this is what we are reasonably good at. Jamie, are these shift cuts an example of that? Not exactly. It, obviously, when you take out the uh, some of these higher-end vehicles, uh, that might lower the company's average uh, price. But, you know, of course, you want to sell at a high price to cover the high costs. What I think the real connection is between the two is they're both uh, responses to, you know, societal, regulatory, government pressures to offer more fuel-efficient vehicles, uh, which is, you know, squeezing out some of those big money makers from uh, Jeep and Ram, and then the need to offer EVs that can be sold in large numbers and profitably. So that's they're really working at both ends, uh, being pushed by regulators on both segments of the market. It's a real challenge. Gotcha. Coming up, we'll hear from Service Department Director Chris Van about his approach to building a more collaborative workplace. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Lack of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade-ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up-to-date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, 
how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit reyrey.com slash used cars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate, and more profitable decisions. That's reyrey.com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Every service visit is an opportunity for an employee to help a customer. That's according to Chris Van, Service and Parts Director at Volvo Cars Marin in California. Van said it's his daily goal to spread this idea of helping throughout his service department. Van spoke with Automotive News Senior Editor Dan Shine about leadership and creating a good culture in service. Chris, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Now, you and I met at the Best Dealerships to Work For uh, slash Retail Forum Chicago back in the end of October. You were honored uh, as kind of a, a best practice spotlight during the event. And also, I think your dealership won a, uh, awarded a uh, best dealership uh, to work for. And I know culture, mentorship, leadership is, is kind of very near and dear to you. You spoke a lot about it, and, and it seems like it's such a, a core of what the, the dealership is all about. Tell me a little bit about how like you got into this. You've been in the business a long time. When did kind of maybe the light bulb go off? Or when did, how did you learn to kind of maybe be a good leader? to be someone who can kind of spread a good culture. How did you come into that, being able to do that? Uh, so Dan, I've been doing some version of what I do now as a, as a parts and service director. So as a parts manager, as a service manager, I worked in uh, collision repair for 15 years, some version of like 38 years. And somewhere maybe 15, 20 years ago, I started thinking, well, what do you actually do? You know, sometimes it was making sure all the parts are in the right place. Sometimes it was making sure you got a certain number of cars fixed in a day and uh, slowly evolved that really what, what brought me, uh, what made me happy, what I really felt like I was doing like at the core was helping people. And that could be a customer coming over the drive or someone needed a part. Someone, someone needed something and I was running departments that could help them. And uh, I remember one, uh, when I first took over a parts department, we had a little problem with, um, with phones being picked up and um, by, by parts advisors. It's not a new thing. Uh, they, sometimes it's just different personality conflict or different personality emphasis, let's say. And I made it pretty simple. I said, when someone calls the parts department, they want a part and we can get them parts because that's what we do. So that's an opportunity to help someone. And that was kind of maybe the beginning of me just simplifying it to like really the core of my career, maybe my life, maybe when I'm doing the best thing and the thing that is closest to what I feel is important is I'm helping people. And I have that, you know, I have that ability. And, you know, in, in so many of my jobs, they've given me the tools to do it. They've given me enormous resources, personnel, et cetera. So I feel really fortunate that I have that opportunity to actually do it. I can execute it every single day. I can, I can help people. And, you know, like right now I have, uh, I think tomorrow, 32 appointments. So I have 32 opportunities to help people tomorrow. And it, it used to be at the very beginning of it, it used to be this, I want to help people, but what does it cost me? And it was, for some reason, I saw this as a balance Well, I can't spend too much money or, you know, and th that slowly changed over time to say, no, that's not the way it works at all is you, you build a business that helps people and the money follows. You can't say, I can only spend this much helping people. If you come at it from that, or, or at least what I experienced, if I come at it from that direction, I'm then not focused on 
how I'm going to fulfill a need or help someone. I'm then focused on how I'm going to save money by helping them while I help them. And maybe the third evolution or, or as it became more integrated, I realized that it wasn't just my customers. I have an opportunity, like right now, 25 people that are direct reports. I have an opportunity to help them in so many ways. And it's really obvious, like when I get to hire someone, you know, that's, that's like one of my favorite days, right? I got, I got to hire someone. Someone wanted a job. I had an opening. We're going to help each other out. This is going to be great. Sometimes that fades over time. You're like, you kind of forget that moment where you think you're going to fulfill and you didn't help someone. But really, I have that opportunity every day. So I have a technician. He's been doing it a year. He wants to become a master tech. What's my next step to doing that? When I can align what's good for my business, because if you don't run a business successfully, you get zero chances to help people, right? So that's sort of a baseline. You have to do your business correctly, but then you have all these opportunities to help people. And I believe in whatever success I've had has been based on the fact that helping people, whether they be customers or employees, get what they look, what they want or help them define what they want. And when you uh, consistently concentrate on fulfilling that, you're successful. The success comes with it. And that's, that's probably doubly true for employees. That's probably doubly true. Like if you honestly are uh, trying to help them get to where they want to be, uh, the rewards for everyone are incredible. So how do you instill kind of that culture of helping the customer every day, doing, you know, doing a good deed and, and, you know, are you leading by example? Are you leading with words or is it training involved? How do you get the rest of those direct reports to you on board with your thinking? So uh, maybe in this industry, maybe there's other, other industries like this. I had some reticence at first to come out and just say, hey, we're here to help people. Uh, we have 32 chances tomorrow. W what are we going to do? What's going to be great? But I overcame that reticence and I literally say that to my crew. Like, hey, how many appointments do we have today? We have 30 appointments. We have 30 chances to help someone, to make someone happy, to improve their lives a little bit. So let's get all of those. I also remind people because this happens to me is, you know, it, it doesn't happen every day that a customer says, uh, thanks you or thanks you explicitly. Like, thank you so much. I had this problem. You solved it this way. And now my life has improved this way. Sometimes they do. They say, I got a flat tire. You came in, you guys helped me. I was able to pick up my daughter from ballet. Sometimes you hear it that way, but those things when they, when they happen to us, and I think this is true, not, it's not true universally, of course, because people have their own points of view, but with my crew anyway, they say to my face, yeah, that's great. I love it when that happens. And they'll even tell me about individual ones, which is you know great for me to hear if I'm not part of it. But I am quite explicit to my technicians. Hey, did we get this car done? You really helped Mrs. Jones. If we get a you know a verbatim, if we get a direct response from the customer, thanks us for the job. I try to walk those back to the technician. You really help them out because they're going on a trip on Friday, that sort of thing. Because I, I feel like with my technicians, yes, of course, I want to help them and I want to help everyone who works for me, but I also want them to know what we're doing here, which is helping customers. And then just to circle back, my, one of my big responsibilities is to make sure that also runs a profitable business. I've got, I've got people who've invested money, who've put a lot of energy into us even being here. And I've got a brand, you know, all of those things expect us to be successful business-wise and customers. And I just think those things go hand in hand, not as opposed to each other. How is the retention in your service department there? Do you, you know, a lot of places have a lot of turnover, but I've also seen places that do things the right way, treat their employees well, who also then treat their customers well. They don't have retention problems. How, how is yours there at Volvo Cars Marin? 
So um, as far as I'll just focus on technicians because I know those numbers pretty well. Um, I've lost three technicians in two and a half years, all of them for uh, commute reasons. We're somewhat in an island. We're in a, in a wealthy county that uh, I think two of my technicians live in our county. Otherwise, everyone commutes in. And so we, lo we lost two who basically got jobs, you know, an hour closer to home. I, I think all three of them were that way. Uh, lost two, one each, each of, one this year and one last year to that and one in our first year here. So um, I've, uh, I've seen different ways of doing it. I've seen where you get a lot of people in, you see who shakes out and you get rid of other people. Culturally, I think that's kind of tough. It, I don't like it. it. It sends a signal that people are disposable. I'd rather get people in here and work as hard as I can with them to get them as close as I can to their goals and, and move them towards their goals, no matter what they are. And ho hopefully that builds what they're able to do for the company, builds what they're doing for their own family, et cetera, and keeps them happier. I, I do think, from my own personal experience, I commute about 30 minutes and I've worked closer to home and I commute because I enjoy where I work and because I feel like, I, you know, for a lot of things, I, I have the possibility of success here, et cetera. But the fact that I'm happy working here 10 hours a day or whatever it, is, whatever it ends up being today is a huge part of it. I'm, you're only awake 16 hours a day. How many of them do you want to be happy? And my answer is all of them. I, I want that for people who work here too. I want them to have the opportunity to strive and to be happy doing it. And how does a good culture translate into a good business in a, in a, in a service department? How, how intertwined are the two? So I, I have this concept in my head of like a high trust environment. And, I, and I've, heard, I, I've heard different versions of that and they're all probably true. The way I see it is if you have uh, people who are actually working as a team who trust each other, what you end up doing is you save a lot of what I call friction time, which is time where you're just making friction and you're not fixing the car, you're not working towards helping people. Because if you can look over and know that everyone else has their background and are, and are happy to be there, they're not momentarily disgruntled at work or they don't feel like they've been treated unfairly or they feel like they can trust the people who are asking them to work hard every day because that's what we're doing. I'm, you know, Technicians are the obvious example, but it's true at the front too. We're asking those people to do things that are not always easy and then often aren't and for hours on end. But if they trust that we have their back and I trust that they're doing everything they can, we all trust that we're doing our best. And then we also push to make that best better. And we see it in each other like, oh my gosh, last year you wouldn't been able to do this. You're killing it now. Uh, you build a high trust environment where, where things get done better, get done more cheaply, and you don't have as many mistakes, errors. You know, in the car business, of course, a big one is how many cars did you crash this year? You know, how much trouble did you create that just adds nothing to anyone's life? And, you know, that number goes down when you have a high trust environment and when people feel as if they're cared for and they want to in their res the response, the natural response is then to care about where you work. Well, Chris, I really enjoyed the conversation. Great stuff. It's great meeting you uh, back at Retail Forum in uh, Chicago back in October and uh, love this conversation as well. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Nick Bunkley, Vince Bond Jr., John Hutter, and Molly Boygon for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on service and parts, job cuts, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back on Monday for a conversation with Mazda CEO Masahiro Moro. Well, from now on, Bentley EV uh, will be taking off, but still, I want to watch customers' actual needs and wants. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.